coming to you from the entertainment capital of the world, Las Vegas. Doing my part to bring you some entertainment, I'm Christopher Calloway, the host of Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists and others working in comic books, both up and coming and veterans in the business. And joining me today is Brent Shootover. He has done a lot of comic book work, including for Marvel Comics, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man. For DC, he's done Batman 66. For Dynamite Entertainment, he's worked on Doc Savage and Red Sonja. He's done covers, he's done interiors, but not to put all of his eggs in one basket. Brent takes a diversity of assignments, including work for breweries, work for movie houses, comics based on television, and concert posters. How does he get all this work done without going crazy? Well, he has a method to keep himself from descending into madness. And his new comic book coming out, scheduled for June, written by Benjamin Percy, who has worked on Green Arrow, Nightwing, and Teen Titans, and it is colored by Nick Filardi, is called Devil's Highway. It's being published by AWA, and it is a five-part series. Now you're probably saying, hey Chris, you just said it's coming out in June. And with the COVID-19 pandemic, how do you know it's coming out in June? Well, they have a way to distribute this book first digitally, and then they'll send it out in print. Who is this publisher, AWA? We're going to find out who are the people behind it, one of whom is former editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics, Axel Alonso, and how his feedback as an editor changed the way the book was written. Plus, I ask Brent all the fun questions that I ask all my guests. So once again, if you like what you hear when you finish listening to this interview, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. So let's get started my interview with Brent Schoonover, artist of Devil's Highway, here now on Creator Talks. Brent, welcome to Creator Talks. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. So how have you been passing the time? Now, I'm going to mention this COVID-19, and it'll be, right now, it's Easter Monday when we're having this conversation. Right. And things will be probably very different by the time this comes out. But in the meantime, we've all been trying to make do, find things to keep ourselves busy. If we're working, we're busy, whether it be someplace on site helping people or at home doing whatever we do. But how are you managing to keep yourself sane around the house? Do you have things you have to take care of outside of your work? Yeah. um, You know, I'll try to keep it as positive as possible here. I have two daughters and they're both in school. So we've been doing schoolwork with them and helping them kind of stay on task with that because more than likely they're going to finish their school year at home. And so we really need to make sure that they kind of, you know, get the education that they need. And so that's been taking pretty much the majority of like the morning into the early afternoon. And we try to keep a regular schedule with that. And then come the regular afternoon, me and my wife either tag out, one of us works and finishes walk with the other one while the other one finishes kind of watching the kids till dinner time. And then after that, one of us, you know, we kind of flip flop and then, you know, the other one gets to work a little bit. And so while work has been a little, you know, the hours are very low compared to my normal day, um, I have been able to do some stuff. We've done a lot of house projects. Like I totally gutted the garage this weekend, pulled everything out, power washed it, cleaned it, you know, reorganized everything. That felt really, really uh, therapeutic <laughs> and uh, and awesome. Uh, we put new lights on the garage. We put new lights in the front. We've been getting more stuff done on a house project kind of thing in a week than we have, you know, than in a month. Because I feel like in the past, I probably would have just been like, oh, I got to get this page done or I got to get this done. And at this point, I don't know. I don't. We're reprioritizing stuff. And it's been kind of nice that way. And 
you know, we taught my youngest daughter how to ride bikes without training wheels. There's been a lot of good coming from the house, and you know, which is great, but uh, I've been reading more. My to-read pile has gotten chopped in half, which is awesome. I try to read at least two to three comics every day um, early on just to get started, a little breakfast and go through them. You know, when comic book stores do open again, it's going to be kind of exciting because I'm going to need to stockpile that to read pile. Yeah, that's just floppies, though, I should say. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to all the graphic novels that I haven't read yet. That's my next mountain to climb. So, although it's going, could be worse, but I think it could be better. I hear you. I mean, we're lucky. We're both still working as of this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm going through my to read pile after dinner. I just read a couple of books before the kids settle in and watch a little TV before going to bed. But it's been hard to keep them occupied because they're climbing the walls in the house and everything is closed, including the parks. Yeah. So there's not a whole lot to do. We go for walks, but there's not much else. Now, over the weekend, something really cool happened. And I don't know if this hit the national news. And I put it on my social media accounts, but we took the kids for a walk because the Thunderbirds, they're F-16s. They had eight of them flying overhead at a certain time, 2.30, to honor the healthcare workers at the hospitals. So they had this 25-minute route set up. So we walked to the nearest point we could in the neighborhood, nice big open area. Everybody else was out there. You know, we were keeping like six feet apart, you know, plenty of social distancing. And we're waiting. I was like, I don't see them yet. Where are they? They're going to be here soon. Then it's like, oh, look, there they are. And then within like uh, maybe like 10 seconds, they come flying by right near us. And one of them, I was recording this on my phone. This was not in recording because it was closer than the other planes. And I had to put my phone down and look at it. I wanted to see this with my own eyes. And I could see the numbers, the panels, the rivets, and the rumble through my whole body when it came by. And when that went by, I looked at my wife. I said, you know what I'm thinking? She's like, God bless America. I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm like, America. You know, it was just. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about it. I've only oh I've seen my God. myself. And it's, uh, you can't describe how those are, you know, in person. They're just really, really impressive. So I totally with you and you get that little sense of uh, pride, I guess, mm-hmm. when you see them go by, you can't help it. But uh, that's really cool. It's amazing because we've never been into planes, air shows. But when we saw that, we were just like stunned. I can see how an enemy, if one of those planes were to come in and they were going about 450 to 500 miles per hour and they can do like 800. I yeah. would just crap myself if I saw that thing coming out of nowhere. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, I, I can only imagine what it's like being inside. So, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. You've been doing like, what, three hours a day of work before all this happened. You were covers, you were doing interiors, you had your own work you were doing. I was doing a lot of covers. You know, I'm doing a, interiors on a book now. I do a lot of stuff outside of comics, too. One of the best pieces of advice you know, I ever got. Peter Krause. He is, you know, Power Shazam. Great run on that. He's comic books for a long time. But he's also really well known in Minneapolis area as being one of the best storyboard artists for commercial work. And I got to know Pete about maybe seven years ago or so. And we went out for drinks. And the one thing he told me and Mitch Garretts, who lived here at the time, he just said, guys. And Mitch, actually, he was in the the commercial field, too, before he kind of really went all in on comics. He's like, never go all in. He goes, you know, I'm not faithful to comics because comics will never be faithful to me. And that always stuck with me. And um when I first graduated from the Minneapolis College of Art and Design in the late 2000s, it was one of those things. I started getting commercial work with like General Mills and stuff like that, doing storyboard work or whether it was uh, breakfast cereal packaging art. I just have always been able to adapt and kind of do that commercial style. 
And I like doing it, but I also just love doing comics. And so I've always kind of tiptoed between both of them. And so like right now, I, I've just been doing a bunch of craft beer labels because the craft beer industry in Minneapolis area is huge. And there just seems to be always a need for it. And I enjoy doing it and stuff. So I've got probably three or four beer labels right now that I've got to crank out right now on top of uh, some other work and covers and stuff like that. So I'm keeping myself busy with a lot of different things. Now, are those labels for the same brewer? Uh, some of them are for the same brewer. There's like two or three different breweries at the same time that kind of reach out to me. Wow. Um, there's one that's like almost seems like every month they've got a new beer label. And the other ones are kind of like more every two to three months or something like that. And so I always get worried that they're going to be like, oh, you're cross-contaminating too many different labels in the end. But, uh, you know, I think every one of them has enough different approach and style that I can adapt pretty well. So it's not as maybe as obvious that the same guy's doing them all. I don't know. So I'll keep doing them until they tell me no. Well, how do you manage to balance all this so that you're not working all hours of the day and night? You know, how do you segregate those jobs so you're not going crazy? I think I've gotten to the point now where I kind of know like, oh, a beer label is going to take me 45 minutes doing a couple sketches or something like that. And then you submit them in and you wait for feedback. Once you get the approval to move ahead, I'm like, I know I can do a label in this many amount of hours or something like that. I'm pretty good at knowing what that is. And so I just kind of try to every day go through and say like, okay, this is, you know, especially right now with all of us, it's like, okay, I'm watching the kids during the day. And then I've got like a four to five hour window here. I can fit a label in there. You know, that's a good day to do a label. If I've got more time the next day, I focus on comics. So I do kind of jump around, which the one thing that's tough about that is if you're getting in a really good groove and you're finally like in an issue, like, oh, I just want to keep going. Oh, I got to pause and I got to do this. And sometimes you get that weird change of gears and it's hard to jump back into. It does happen. For the most part, I'm pretty good about as long as the schedule stays somewhat to plan. You know, there's certain days where things don't go that way and it kind of just bites you in the butt a little bit. But most of the time, it's just really good planning and communication with my wife and about what I've got to get done and when I got to get it done. Now, you mentioned you do all the kinds of work, not just putting it all into comics. Now, there's some other things that you did that I saw that I would like to just talk about for a bit because others may not be aware of it. They might want to know about it and the process of how you went about doing it. And one that I saw on your site, it was a poster that you did for a film festival, Tyrolon Roadshow, at the Historic Heights Theater. And it was an Into the Night poster. Yeah, the Heights Theater is the oldest theater in Minneapolis. It's one of the coolest theaters you could ever go to. It's just a beautiful old theater. It's about 100 years old. And it's just a gorgeous place. It's got this, I mean, you just walk in, and it's just like one of those classic old theaters that you'd always want to go see a movie in. And they always through like mostly February through March, they focus on having really cool film noir series. And then throughout October, they also do like really cool old horror movies and stuff like that. And I just love going there. And I kind of got to build a relationship with the owner and the people who try to do marketing and stuff like that for them. We've got a couple of cool little program runners in town that try to do film series. We ended up getting an Alamo draft house uh, a little outside of the Twin Cities. But I think over the course of like two years before, I think people knew it was coming. A lot of the older theaters kind of took the idea of what an Alamo draft house could kind of be and kind of adapted that themselves since they were closer to the cities. And so the film series have really picked up around here. And the old film noir series that this Heights Theater does every February and March um, I've always been a fan, but they finally like were like, oh, we need to start marketing these better. And so when they t asked me to do like a 
just a general poster for it. I was just like, yes, I'm all over that. You know, anything I can do that's sort of kind of unique. And I don't know if you're too familiar with like the Mondo poster series that like the Alamo Draft House kind of uses when they do film series or something like that, whether it's like a focus on Back to the Future or any sort of like well-known pop culture uh, series. They hire artists to do these really cool movie posters. And uh, I've always just kind of wanted to build a like a catalog of posters like that kind of stuff around the Twin Cities. And so um, that was just one of those ones where I was like, I know they didn't have a great budget, but I didn't really care. It was more of something I wanted to do for myself and for fun. And those RKO noir films are some of my favorites. So it was an easy one to jump on and do. And you had some ideas and you wanted to incorporate in some way the look and feel of all the films. There were eight. And you finally found a way to make a composite or get the message across about it being into the night. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where I wish I could say I had actually seen all of those movies. And so there was like one or two of them that I had never had the chance to see. And so I just kind of decided, you know what, I'm going to kind of do something. I just, the one thing I knew was I had to fit that RKO uh, satellite antenna in there, you know, like that's the iconic image every time you watch an RKO movie. And so I was like, it's kind of weird how that plays really nicely into deep shadows and stuff like that. So I don't know. It just, I I knew I had to fit that in there, but I I did put a couple of different ideas together too that we didn't get. There was a really fun one I did with people on staircases. And I I had so much fun that I kind of wished that that was a series that I kept doing because I kind of wanted to get to the other versions of the, that I concepted too, just because as much as I loved the one I did, I was like, I kind of want to keep doing more. So, but uh, sometimes the schedule just doesn't allow you to do too many of these things that you like to do that maybe are more for the love than they are for the the money. So, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I just, I love trying to promote people around town going to the Heights theater and some of these smaller theaters that we have in town, because I think they're really important, especially as like Minneapolis is a town I love, but it's just becoming more and more a city of condos and kind of CVS pharmacies. And we're kind of losing some of our really cool identity for some of the same old things that I think places like Portland and stuff are also struggling with. I wish we had something like that around here. We have a lot of other things, but nothing quite like that. An old theater. Yeah, I just think an old theater really brings kind of like a small community together a little bit, or at least, you know, like-minded individuals and stuff. Like, I've met so many people through going to this theater that, you know, and when it's October and they're playing like Ed Wood or something like that, you know, you kind of get to meet people and stuff like that. It's kind of like a comic convention. You kind of just go enough and you start meeting these people and they become kind of part of your, your life a little bit. And uh, they may not be like the friends you talk to or text every day, but when you kind of go to a like-minded event, they're the people that you always like to see. And so that's kind of, there's like a group of people that get to see when we go to the, to the Heights theater, you know, it's just, it's really neat. You don't really get to see them that much outside of it, but when you do get to go, it's, it's awesome. Now that was work you did related to film movies. Now you also did something related to music for Tom Petty, who you're a big fan of. And I'm also a fan for his 40th anniversary tour. So for the location he was at, you did a poster for that. Yeah. Um, I used to live in St. Paul and they have the XL energy center, which is where their hockey team plays the Minnesota wild. And uh, through a mutual artist, I have a friend of mine, I was in line one day, the Foo Fighters were coming to town and they did this funny thing where they were trying not to use Ticketmaster for any of their tickets. <laughs> I'll be honest, it wasn't the most convenient, but you had to go to the venue they were playing at and you had to get in this super long line inside 
uh, in the middle of winter to get tickets. There was probably 2,000 people in line already. And I got way in the back, and I'd been to a part of the XL Energy Center in the offices area that I'd never been to. And a friend of mine named Adam Turman, who's in town, I just was next to all these amazing posters that he had done for like all these big concerts that had been at the XL. And so I had my phone on me and I'm texting him and I'm like, hey, dude, I'm in the XL and I didn't know you did all these cool posters. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I actually got a really cool gig where like they do posters as a thank you to each artist who comes to town. It's like a limited edition poster. Uh, They only make like 50 of them and uh, they give like. 30 or 40 to the band and their management. And then they keep like 10 for themselves. And so I was like, that's a pretty cool gig. And so he offered to give me the contact for it. And so I reached out to this lady who worked at the XL and I was like, look, any ever need to have another artist besides Adam, I'd love to throw my name in the hat. And so she actually wrote me back like right away. And she's like, we've got a can full of shows coming up. I don't know if you're interested in any of these. And Tom Petty was on the list. I had never seen him. And I was like, oh, my God, I'd love to go because free tickets is also part of what you get when you do the poster. And so, yeah, I did the poster. It was super fun. I like what I did, but there was like five or six other ideas. And there was one that was like a girl getting the heartbreaker tattoo on her shoulder or something. I, I love that idea. I was like, <laughs> and then out the window, you could see the XL Energy Center. And they just thought it was too complicated. And they, they kind of dictated what they wanted on the poster on this first one. And I was like, eh, it's OK. But like. I was happy with it and um, really cool. I got to go see Tom Petty. Um, I got a picture with Joe Walsh, who was the opener, holding the poster, which was really oh, cool. Oh, nice. And so Tom didn't get a pick with the poster, but uh, that was still really cool. And ever since, I've done Tom Petty, I've done Pink, which she reposted it on Instagram, her, the poster I did. And that was like just a crazy day. Like my Instagram blew up <laughs> the day I did that. And um I've also done Blink-182 and KISS. I just did KISS recently, actually, last month or so. And that was their end-of-the-road tour. And so um, they also reposted it and were, like, putting it all over uh, social media, which was kind of neat. So it's always cool when they do that. It's a neat kind of opportunity to do. And uh, every now and then I will stake claim to an artist if they come to town, like, I need to do this one. Every now and then they'll reach out for one, too. So that's the cool thing. It's like my friend Adam didn't have to give me that contact. But I don't know. I'm of that idea of paying it forward a little bit and stuff like that, too. I think it's better to be that way than, you know, stingy with, like, contacts or something like that. Help someone else out and pay it forward a little bit. Yep, and it doesn't hurt to ask. Just ask. It might be a yes, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Television-related, now, I don't know a lot about this in terms of the subject matter itself, but you did also work that was related to WWE. You did some uh, connecting covers, and yes. I mentioned that because the colorist that worked with you, uh, Nick Filardi, is also working on Devil's Highway with you. Yep, I grew up a pretty big WWF, WWE fan as a kid. Like Probably one of my earliest memories is probably watching... Hulk Hogan slam Andre the Giant with my dad. It was kind of a bonding thing with me and my dad. He'd take me to uh, wrestling when it would come to town. It it was just something I've always enjoyed. And I don't know. I'm also one of those guys. I think it's because of comics and stuff, too. I pretty much always still kept an interest in almost everything I, I was a fan of when I was like six or seven years old. Comic books, horror movies heavy metal and uh, you know uh and wrestling and st- so you know those things are still sort of a part of my dna i forget how the wwe thing came about i think i'd done a drawing for fun and i put it on instagram and twitter and then all of a sudden uh, eric harbour the editor at boom messaged me and was like hey man we really like that drawing that you did of uh whatever wrestler it was 
And uh, we're actually just got the license to the WWE and we're going to do a whole bunch of covers. And he was like, do you want to do any covers? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And he was like, well, I have this crazy idea of doing uh, the first year. He's like, each year is going to be its own little self-contained story. There's the thing called the Royal Rumble, which it's basically like a big battle royal where there's like a ton of guys in the ring at the same time fighting and the goals that throw each other over the top rope. The last person in the ring is, is the the king of the Rumble. They wanted to do is do a Royal Rumble connecting covers thing where like each issue was a segment of it. Almost, you know, they're connected. But they wanted to do a variety of guys who are like well-known now in our wrestling today and also wrestlers from like the 80s and 90s who aren't wrestling anymore. A combination of all your favorites from different generations. And I was like, that's awesome because I'm a little more adept with some of the older guys and stuff than I am now. But, you know, and then they just kind of like gave me a list of guys who you can't use. And then I just was allowed to just use whoever. And they only actually had like for each issue – they're like, they only had like two guys on there. Like this issue should have this guy and this guy. And I'm like, well, we got to do this giant ring and it's going to look so boring if each one has just like two guys on the cover. And so I continued adding guys, which <laughs> probably, would, you know, I added more time and, you know, they weren't paying me anymore. But I was just like, this is going to look so cool when it's done. And uh, they really got into it when I started adding more and more and they started seeing how it's going to fill out. And so... Um, they got into it, and then Nick, the colorist, I wanted somebody who I knew was just going to hit a home run on it. And uh, I, I personally, I think Nick's one of the best colorists in the business. I think he's like a future Eisner winner. He worked on Howling Commandos with me at Marvel for the six-issue run that I had on that. And uh, I always had wanted to work with him again. And we were both were trying to figure something out. And I, he didn't know anything about wrestling, so I had to like just send him like, all the reference for every issue. I'm like, this is what this guy wears. This is what this guy wears. And uh, he just kind of like just started laughing about how absurd and stuff some of it was. But uh, he was cool. He did a great job. And so that was uh, the book, that project, though, as we were working on it, me and Ben started developing Devil's Highway. Uh, we had a colorist we really liked early on, but we had to take a shift when we got AWA and the book changed and they wanted a different colorist. And so... I just was like, well, what about Nick? And Axel Alonso was very familiar with his work when he did some stuff at Marvel. And so it worked out. That's kind of how the WWE thing kind of led into Devil's Highway a little bit. Well, let's jump right to Devil's Highway. So this is a story about murder in the dark underbelly of America's heartland. The character's name is Sharon. She has a dark family secret and is hunting her father's killer, who is a serial killer, by the way. Turns out her father was connected to a network of evil throughout the U.S. hiding in plain sight. So to catch the devil, she must embrace the darkness within. And I thought that was an interesting title, The Devil's Highway, because there is an actual devil's highway between Mexico and Arizona. It's kind of a trail. Yep. Thousands of people have died on over the centuries. Because the Native Americans took it, the Spaniards took it, and if you're not prepared for it, it's rough. There's cactuses, it's like 97 degrees at night, it's just brutal. So it is truly hell on earth. But this is not so much a physical place as maybe a mental state. Can you explain a little more about the Devil's Highway in this story, how it manifests itself? The Devil's Highway is actually, in, in our book, mostly takes place in the Midwest for the entirety of the story. But this is kind of, the name is a name that Ben has always loved in the he was kind of surprised that there wasn't it was already a, a being used somewhere else in a book or a movie or something like that. But this is kind of a Midwest murder mystery kind of thing. If you love true crime, 
right, and stuff like that. I think this will kind of help, you know, quench that thirst. If that's, I don't know, if that's the best way to say it. But um, I met Ben about four years ago now, I think, and uh, he was writing Teen Titans and Green Arrow. We were just having to be set up across from each other here at a show here in Minneapolis, a small show. And he came over to me and introduced himself, and I'd known of his work, but I never met him, and I didn't know he lived in town. And uh, we just hung out at the show a little bit and talked, and I really kind of realized, like, oh, man, you're working for Big Two Books, and I'm doing Big Two Books, and we're local. Like, we should catch up sometime. And so it's a little little hard to do because we both have kids and stuff so it probably took like four or five months but we finally went and had a beer and uh obviously like i kind of knew ben's the uh, literary stuff he does he does crime and he does horror and stuff like that really really well we kind of just found out how much we both love that stuff and uh we kind of got talking about a weird case in minneapolis area about a missing boy from like 20 years ago who had recently found his killer and he directed him to the remains that they were never able to find it was just all over the news and there was all these theories for all these long time and we just kind of got talking about it and we got talking about other true crime stories and stuff and all of a sudden like next thing you know we're developing something over breakfast and uh i kind of told him about you know this uh smiley face killer thing that i'd kind of been watching it's not really a documentary but it's just like one of these conspiracy theories and it was a youtube video and uh, about how they believe that there's these smiley face killers that are like you can find smiley faces next to crime scenes all over the country and stuff and uh it's probably not real or you know but it does make for an interesting story and uh, kind of just fed off that. Like, what if it was real, though? And so we kind of just melted potted all these ideas and concepts and true life things that we had been going on. And uh, Ben had always been wanting to tell a story about open road truck drivers and stuff because he had read a thing that the FBI seems to indicate that that's like the most common theory employment for a serial killer because you're never in the same place at the same time you're always justified where you're supposed to be and you kind of just fly by night you know you're never in the same place twice and so i told him i've never really done a story about people in the midwest as much and i just love being from the midwest and i think doing a true crime thing would be really interesting here and he wrote me this really awesome little synopsis of the devil's highway and I just read it and I was just like, damn, I really want to do this. And so I was working on Ant-Man or um, Captain Marvel. I can't hear. It's all blurred, to be honest with you. But I was working on, <laughs> on something Marvel and it was just like, I got to find the time when things slow down. And so we concepted it a little bit. But then over time, we submitted it to a few places. I think Vertigo was one. And we almost were pretty much there at Vertigo. Like we were even talking like cover artists and stuff like that. And then Vertigo did this hard shift on what their last reboot was going to be. It was going to be more social commentary, political stuff, and a little less true crime and stuff like that. And so all of a sudden it just it went away at Vertigo. And I was like, oh, man, what, that's kind of a bummer. And then he was actually starting to get in at Marvel, and he was working with Axel on this uh, Wolverine podcast that he had done. He wrote and produced Axel's like, well, we can't have you working on just that. We need to get you over on the publishing side of things. And so he got a little bit of work over there. And then shortly after that, Axel got let go as EIC at Marvel. But he quickly ended up telling Ben, he's like, hey, I've got something in the works, actually. If you've got anything creator-owned, please let me know because I'd love to publish it. And so we got very excited when that happened. And uh, we kind of reached out to him shortly after the Vertigo thing, and he got let go. 
Axel, who he's an awesome, brilliant guy. He he kind of took a look at it, read it, and he kind of changed it around for us. He's like, this is what I would do with this book. And it was a huge change from what we were actually originally going to do. Sort of going to be like a fish out of water. Girl comes home to find her family murdered, and she's like an art school girl. And then we were going to do like a smash cut to like three years down the road, and she's just this hardcore truck driver. And we kind of balanced jumping through time and how she got there. And Axel kind of just wanted to cut all that and just make her kind of more like a military background and kind of make this a little more like the movie Man on Fire with uh, Denzel Washington. She just needed a reason. And I don't know. It was kind of weird. And then Ben wrote, rewrote the script for it like that. And I fell in love with it all over again. It was the same book, but it was different. I was kind of all in on it. So, yeah, we've been working on it for a little over a year or so with AWA. and now. We were all ready to release in June and be in stores, and uh, life finds a way to uh, kind of throw your plans off a little bit. Everyone just has to wait a little longer to see Sharon in action because I had a chance, thank you, to read the first issue. And uh, she kicks butt and takes no names. I mean, she's not someone to be messed with right off the bat. The fun thing about it was, too, is I was really into the idea of this transformation sequence of her originally. I don't know. Axel and I had this really long conversation. He kind of had a theory of why, you know, what we could do and kind of cut some of that stuff. And, you know, like I said, Ben just has this amazing ability. Like one thing I love that I think a true great writer is, is like, you know, Ben does his novels and stuff like that. And I've read all of them and they're great. And I, obviously there's editors that tell them what to do in this nap. But like, I think the truly great people can like take the advice on a project and do these hard shifts that I think not everybody can do that well and still turn out something great. Like I said, there's a pretty significant change in the storyline from when we originally started, but like Ben just turned in this awesome script and was able to adapt with the change and the suggestion and just still turn in something that like one, I was like, I'm still all bored on this and I'm just as excited to draw it. I don't know how he does it because he's done it a few times. I know when he was on Nightwing, they had a lot of changes too. And he constantly just kept rolling with the punches and adapting and stuff. And he's just really good at that. And so I'm excited now that we're kind of getting going a little bit, I'm hoping this first story that we do, I'm working on the last issue now. I would love to keep going with it. So uh, I know obviously with the, with the world and everything where it is, we, we can't promise that that's going to be a thing, but it's definitely the thing we want to do next is uh, keep giving you more Devil's Highway. The end of that first one, I'm like, oh, I got to see more now. I mean, it was really good story. Very good story. I like Crime Noir, so, and beautifully drawn too, of course. And uh, quite a surprise ending. Other publishers are saying pencils down right now, no work, but this is different. This is creator owned. You're not having to deal with any of that. No, pretty lucky. So AWA has a really cool model. They have certain books that are going to be a building of a universe of sorts. They don't really want to call it superheroes, but it's going to be world where characters interact. And then they also have a creator own part of it that everybody's books are just their own books. And they are built financially to sort of adapt deals. You know, if you want to do the work for hire thing for them, they've got that. If you want to do a creator own thing, that's almost an image deal. You can do that. And so we're pretty lucky in that we were given an opportunity to kind of do the creator own thing and they kind of give you an advance, which is awesome. And I've got one issue, a little less to go and we're going to wrap it up. Should be on time. We'll definitely all be out on time when it hits stores. So, but, uh, you know, we're going to focus on the digital side of thing. That's what they want to do right now. So early June is when 
the first issue of Devil's Highway will be available at least digitally. And then hopefully whenever books start getting back in the stores, you know, we'll be coming out slowly on the physical side after that. But uh, yeah, it's five issues. I've really, really tried to do my best work I've ever done on it. I feel I'm really excited about it and get people in front of it to see it. And so hopefully people check it out. Now, that's interesting because I recall reading that some of the publishers initially, they wanted to put things out digitally. And then there was a whole issue about everyone wasn't on board about it. And there were some other issues involved with the platform they were going to use to do that had high fees. So that's why they didn't do it. But you're able to go ahead with AWA and actually release these digitally in June. Yeah, I think one thing is, is I think a lot of the smaller, especially like, you know, newer publishers for them. And I think it's more than anybody. I think the key is just keeping your product out there. I mean, AWA's first series launched on the same day. And I think they were the second to last uh, week that they were doing physical copies of in stores. And so that's a really tough time to just be like, here's our first issues. And then just to cease putting stuff out there. That's a tough thing to do for a small company. And so I don't blame them for trying to just say, hey, we got to keep getting the books out there any way they can. I love the retailers. I hope they can survive. I just did the TKO thing the other night where if you go to TKO Presents website, you can buy one of their new books and then you select the comic book store in your area and they give them the percentage of the sale just like it was bought in store. It's a great idea. I wish more publishers would do it. I totally believe in the stores. I don't want any of them to go away. But at the same time, I think ignoring the fact that there's digital readers or you can keep people interested by the digital thing. I thought that that Comics Hub idea wasn't the worst idea in the world. I understand there was some reservations about it. But at the end of the day, I think reading comics is sort of a habit. People get used to that weekly habit. And I think if they get away from it, I think it's one of those things that some people may not come back. It's like, well, you know, I went three to four weeks without it. I guess I can live without this and I can put that money towards whatever. I understand the debates. Not, I don't think there is a perfect answer, but I think you got to do something. I hope that if this keeps going like this, I hope some of the publishers do sort of do what AWA is doing and they do just decide to go and put them out digitally. And, you know, maybe you do a thing on your own and you honor, hey, if you buy it digitally, we'll give you a coupon to go to your local shop and it counts as a sale or something. I don't know. I don't claim to have the perfect answer. I just know that. I I just want people, the fans, to start getting their books at some point, especially if there's just books that are printed or uh, there's PDFs ready to go. Why sit on them? Like, get them out there. You raise a good point about people breaking the habit. And that is a problem because look at just streaming on television. You watch a series. You get away from it. You go on to something else. Or if you use a DVR and you stack a bunch of stuff and it just falls by the wayside, you can't get to it, yeah, you delete it and you move on to something else because something else came out. So not only are you dealing with the comics, but you're dealing with all the other media. So we're kind of denying where we are. I mean, I don't want to see anything happen at the comic shops because I love the social aspect. I love just the experience of going out there once a week. Absolutely. And going Me through too. bins, you know? That's I mean, my part of it, yeah. yeah absolutely. But comics and uh, I sit and I catch up with people I see once a week. It's kind of like when we we're talking about the movie theater thing. They may not be people that like I invite over to my Sunday barbecue or something like that. But they are the people that like, oh, on Wednesday, I know I'm going to see so-and-so or, you know, and you look forward to that. You get a little chat and catch up and it's just part of the going out and comics experience, you know. And I always end up, no matter how hard I try, buying at least one extra book I hadn't planned on buying because I saw it and I was like, oh, I think I'll get this too. That is every comic uh, week I go to, (laughs) you know, like, did you ever have that when you were younger and you like saved your allowance and you'd go to like a Sam Goody 
and you were like, I'm going to buy this record. And you get there and all of a sudden you start looking around and you totally walked out with a totally different record than what you planned on getting. Oh, and, sure. And sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. <laughs> yeah. Think. But uh, yeah, that's totally it. I love walking around and finding a different book uh, that I had never checked out before. And then sometimes I just stick with it. I'm like, you know what? I really liked it. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm like, eh, well, I tried. But absolutely, you know, I made an informed decision. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yep. Well, I do look forward to it when it comes out digitally or in print or both, whenever, whichever comes first, but only five issues. And then you said there'll be more once that's finished. Yeah, we've got a lot of planned ideas for it. And so we just kind of want to see how it's received. You know, we got to talk to AWA and see what they think. But, you know, me and Ben, uh, we're down to do more with it. And I think there's a lot more story to tell. So we're just looking forward to the first one getting out and then hopefully we'll get on it. AWA is very new because I had not heard of it until I saw your book. And it's a venture undertaken by Bill Jemis and Axel Alonso. Why did they decide to start this? I think Bill has sort of, even after he's left Marvel, has sort of had a few ventures that are comics related. And I think Axel, obviously he was let go from Marvel. He was not planning on leaving, Mm -hmm. but they just decided to change gears. And I think he just wanted to be involved. And uh, truth be told, I think when Miller World sold what it sold to Netflix, Mm -hmm. I think it opened up a lot of people's eyes and ears towards what you can happen, you know. And while I want to say, like, there's probably just investors who just are generically saying, like, I want to flip into comics and make that kind of money. Axel is passionate as hell. And I think um, a friend of mine who is working on another book, he's known Axel for a lot longer than I have. And he's like, this is the Axel I remember when he was at Vertigo back in the day when he was younger. And there was more creator-owned books. There was different stories. There were different genres. And not to bemoan what he did at Marvel or anything, you know, when you got the superhero genre as your only outlet for books, you hit a wall, you hit a ceiling. You know, there's only so many places you can go with a fresh take on stuff. And I mean, I think he was there for 12 to 15 years. So it's a pretty damn good run. I think kind of getting back into this stuff, the crime and the different stuff, he'll just call me out of the blue and he'll just start spitting ideas or spitting references to me. I'm like, oh, man, I I haven't seen that before and stuff. He just he loves creating. He loves being involved in the books. And the great thing, I think, for him now is that AWA isn't going to have 30 books a month, you know, that just need to get out and get on the shelf. They've had two and a half years of lead time to kind of build some of this stuff. He's able to sort of give each book its own time. Axel is the best and hardest editor I've worked with. Like I've reworked more stuff on uh, one book than I ever have before. And I kind of go back to, I think I was telling Ben this. um, I had a teacher when I was in art school named Catherine Babcock I remember the first day we went into life drawing class with her and she was super nice, super sweet. And we did just your generic. She put a harsh light on bananas, fruit in a bowl, and we just drew it. And uh, it was like, this is great. This is what art class is going to be like. And she's like, great, let's all take a break, go downstairs. Some of us smoked cigarettes. Some of us went, got a Coke, some, you know, like 15, 20 minute break, got back into her class. All of our drawings were erased. And she said, That is going to be the worst drawing you ever do in this class. And she just turned on this whole different personality. And she was hard as hell. You dreaded going to her class. But like at the end of it, I was so much better than when I was when I went in because she just was a workhorse. And that's kind of what we got from Axel. I think we got him 
being like in charge of a new thing. Now we're on issue five and we're moving and grooving really good. I turned in thumbnails a while ago and he's like, love it. And he called me up and he'd say, you should do this on this and you should just switch that. And he was totally right. You know, but early on, there was a lot of things he saw and just wanted to be there. Once now that we're kind of in position, I think he's like, you guys get it. Like, let's go. And so that's kind of what I think of Axel. He's the best and hardest editor I've worked with, but I feel like at the end of it, I'm better than when I went in, which is great. You can't always say that about some of these projects just because, you know, with the big two, there's just always such a crazy deadline. You know, if you're doing a 20 page comic in three and a half weeks, which I've had that deadline before, the object is just, you know, not the editor's fault either. It's just get it in so we can get it out. None of us always love the book that we did, but it just kind of happens that way where this stuff, you can just kind of take your time with it. And, you know, why aren't you slowing down a little bit? Why aren't we focusing on the story a little more? Originally, there was a different ending to the first issue that I loved Ben, but I, and I was like, we need a strong visual to end this book on for issue one. I kind of threw out a suggestion. You've read it. You know, that end scene was not in there. And so we added it in there. And I'm like, so glad we did. I think that's a pretty gross, strong ending. You know, you're either on board or you're out. I think after you read that one. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, we couldn't have done that on a, a, on a big two book. That's my two cents. This will be one I bookmark in my previous catalog when I get it so I can check everything out and go back and order something because there's a lot of heart behind this. There's a lot of uh, smart editing and smart writing and art. And it's really good. And like you said, that ending, and I won't spoil anything, but I'm reading it and I'm thinking one way and then something else happens on the same page. And it just, I was so wrapped in it, I didn't even see it coming. So, uh, awesome. Looking forward to finishing the whole story. That's exactly the reaction I wanted from something. So. <laughs> it makes me feel like I might have did my job a little bit. <laughs> if you have a little more time, I want to just <laughs> go through my kicking back with the creator questions just to learn more about you as a person. Just some fun stuff, nothing heavy, nothing hard. I can't wait. What do you like to do for recreation? I love going for long walks on the beach. No, uh, no, I do. I, uh, I, I love going for walks, man. I love riding my bike. It uh, really helps me. One, it's healthy and good for you and get out of your own little room. I work from home, so I have my studio in the house. And so I'm always home. My wife can tell. She's like, you need to get out of here. And so she boots me out. And it's good. There's a path from our house I can take that's like three and a half miles. I try to do it every day. And it really helps me because right now I'm uh, trying to actually write and draw, preparing a young adult graphic novel. I've been trying to kind of write it in my head on my walks and clear story problems. And it just they just help me out a lot. You know, if I was drawing like crap the night before, I just, you know, I try to get out and not even think about work. I like listen to podcasts while I'm on it. So that's a huge thing for me is just getting out of the house as much as I can every day. It's snowing here today. So I can't get out today, but uh yeah, I do that, and I love football. I, I'm a big Green Bay Packer fan, so I enjoy going to a football game if I'm lucky enough, or at least watch it. I coach my daughter's Little League team for baseball. Love doing that. Let's see. There's not a heck of a lot of other things. I guess watch movies, but uh, that's kind of a boring one. But uh, getting out of the house as much as I can is great. Do you have a favorite birthday, one that stands out in your mind, for good or bad? Just one, or, well, hopefully it's good if it's your favorite, yeah, yeah. but just a memorable birthday. Yeah, I had, I don't know what year it was, but uh, it was like an all-He-Man birthday. It was the best. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> uh, it, was a, it was like one of those ones, like, I feel like kids don't do them anymore, but we used to have, like, you could just rent the McDonald's play area for birthdays. Mm -hmm. So it's just at McDonald's. 
Uh, but like every kid who came to the party got me a He-Man figure. And then like when I went home and opened my parents' gifts, it was like Castle Grayskull or Battle Cat. It was like, it was just everything was He-Man, which was all I wanted at the time anyway. I think I doubled my toy collection in that one weekend on my birthday. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, that, that's the one I think I'll always remember. I can so. see why. Around the same age, growing up, teenager, let's say, somewhere in there, teenager, what posters or pictures did you have on your bedroom wall? Oh, around that time of the He-Man birthday? Yeah. I had the WWF wrestlers where I was a kid, too. They came with a little poster that you can unroll of each wrestler. And I, every time I got one of those figures, I my dad would staple them on the wall. And so I had just a giant wall that just had, like, 20 different, like, 8 by 10 painted wrestling figures and then i actually had a hulk hogan poster from when i was a kid that i got when i went to go see him wrestle i was a big hulk maniac as a kid (laughs) then there was like a ghost rider poster oh it was like hulk hogan and ghost rider (laughs) (laughs) the ultimate team up that never happened (laughs) maybe you can make it happen (laughs) i know it's that possibilities and this is a hypothetical situation you're stuck on a deserted island you can have one book for pleasure don't worry about something practical something you want to read for fun take your mind off the situation what's the one book you want to have with you new frontier i turn my head to the left and i see it on my bookshelf too so yeah good choice (laughs) i've actually been wanting to reread it again i I try to reread it like every other year Mm -hmm. and i think i've gotten so into this to read pile that i'm like addicted to like chopping down but I said, I think there's a there's coming up a reread on that. But uh, yeah, I got the absolute edition. That's so gorgeous. It's uh, it's like the perfect comic to me. I just I think it's uh, flawless and I just love it. And uh, I could reread that and find something new all the time. So Marvel's is probably a close second. Uh, they just did the anniversary edition of that that came out last year. Marvel re-released them with like back matter. It wasn't originally in the, the well, and I, it was so cool. I've forgotten how amazing of a book that is. It's kind of like Marvel's New Frontier to me a little bit. I, I would almost have to bring both of those, but uh, both stories mean a, a hell of a lot to me. Um, if I was going to do non-comics, uh, oh man, I Am Legend is probably my favorite book, Richard Matheson. Mm-hmm. If I'm stuck on an island, I don't know if I want to read something that bad. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, it's a little relatable, I guess. To me, that's my favorite novel I've ever read. One more hypothetical. If AWA were to make an action figure of you, Ooh. what would be your accessory? Oh, my Cintiq, maybe? Like my drawing tablet? I'd like to throw a football in there, I guess. Hmm. Man, that's a good question. A bulldog. A bulldog, yeah. A bulldog, all right. Bulldog. Yeah, everybody would want that. I had a bulldog growing up named Muggsy, who's a great, wonderful dog, and passed away when I was, you know, in high school. And then when I first met my wife, we met shortly after I graduated from college, and we were in a little apartment. And I said, "When we get a house, we're going to get a dog." And she had a dog too. And I'm like, "So yeah," and I'm like, "But it's got to be a bulldog." She had known a bulldog, but she never really thought of that breed. And uh, <laughs> I just it was like my one requirement. Well, you can do whatever you want in any room you want. But I'm like, we're getting a bulldog. And so she kind of begrudgingly went, okay. And then we got a bulldog named Matilda. She just instantly fell in love with the breed. And so we had Matilda, who unfortunately passed away about two years ago. We actually have another one right now named Agatha. And we had one named Daisy, who was a rescue. And we got her late in her life. So she actually died when she was like 13, but we had her for like three or four years. 
it's our breed. We love them. They stink. They uh, they're party. They're just fat, but uh, they love kids. And they, unfortunately for hates it, they don't, they don't need a lot of exercise, which is good, especially winter time. You don't want to be walking oh, yeah. two to three miles. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a good comic book artist dog. So uh, yeah, that would be my accessory: a fat, snorry bulldog. That'd be a good one. And what is your beverage of choice? You know, I love a good beer. My type of beer always changes. Like I'm really in the Kolsch right now. Like I used to be uh, an IPA guy, mm-hmm. but I, I'm kind of seasonally change. But I got to be honest with you right now. I feel like a good glass of whiskey right now, especially uh, Corona Brent is uh, <laughs> whiskey a little yes. bit. So I was actually supposed to go to the Lexington Toy and Comic Convention this year. And it was supposed to already have happened, but mm-hmm. it canceled it. And a friend of mine was uh, like, hey, if you come down here a day early, I've got a friend of mine who works at Woodford Reserve. And I think I could get you like a cool private tour and you oh. can taste some of the stuff that's in their private stash. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, like, you just tell me when and I'll adjust my plane schedule for that. And uh, now it's I don't get to do that. So it's uh, kind of a bummer. I feel your pain. Woodford's one of my favorites. A friend of mine introduced me to it. He says, here, if you don't like whiskey, you don't like bourbon, try this. And I was like, this is very good. This is going to be very expensive for me. Yeah. <laughs> expensive habit. Yeah, it's a good it it's a cool way to describe it because I've met a lot of people who I'm like, hey, do you want a glass of whiskey? And they're like, man, that really, really a whiskey guy. And I'm like, you should try this because if you don't, like this is a good – non-traditional I, I don't, it's, it is a traditional but it's like something about it that like people who don't normally like whiskey like that one i definitely agree and i say expensive it's not super we're not talking whistle pig or anything like that you know it's somewhere i'd say mid-range it's above like a bullet bullet it's like 22 bucks i think uh, for 28 you can get the, the woodford that's reasonable for some pleasure drinking final question what was the one that got away a comic a project the one you really wanted that ah, just slipped through your fingers didn't work out at the time. God, there's been so many. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've actually been posting some of them on my Instagram. Uh, I did a sketchbook uh, not even two years ago, probably like a year and a half ago. I assembled a sketchbook for conventions. I was like, God, I haven't made one of these in like almost 10 years. And so I started going through and I started realizing how many projects that didn't happen or failed pitches that didn't get picked up. I was asked to do stuff for Archie, Archie with Mark Wade. Mark Wade reached out to me and was like, Fiona Staples is leaving the book and they want someone who kind of can do a look of hers. And he's like, you would have to adapt a little bit, but I think you could do it. And so I did some samples and it didn't happen. And then after Doc Shaner and Jeff Parker did their awesome Flash Gordon series, they were expanding the King Features comic strip line. They asked me if I wanted to do samples for Flash Gordon. I was like, God, I'd love to. And I did. And they were like, oh, we're going to give you the Phantom instead, which was awesome because actually Phantom is probably my favorite comic strip character of that time. I've had a couple things like the Shadow. I was up for the Shadow, but we couldn't make the page rate work. I would love to draw that. But Dick Tracy is probably the one that is the one that got away. There was some possibility of doing that a while ago, and I pitched it hard, and it didn't happen. I was really bummed. Him and the Hulk are like my two characters. If I ever do both of those, I probably will just quit. I've done hovers, which has been really cool, but I've never done any interiors yet. So those are the two dream characters to do. But yeah, I was really excited because when I was a kid, I grew up in Illinois and Dick Tracy was always in the Chicago Tribune and syndicated and stuff. 
And I went to the movie and I was like, oh, God, I love that movie. And my dad's like, well, you can read it for free every week in the newspaper. And I was like, holy cow. And then my barber actually, when I was a kid, he actually used to cut the hair of the creator of Dick Tracy. And so there was like this weird connection. And I was just always like, man, that's amazing. And so I just have always been a fan of it, the outlandish villains and stuff, and the movie. And so he's always just been a character I've wanted to do. And unfortunately, I don't know what its future is, especially in the comic strips, you know, and then comics. But uh, I'd love to take a crack at it. All right. Well, I hope that does someday happen. But we know what is going to happen is Devil's Highway. You're practically finished. So that's starting in June. People can check it out digitally. Well, thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate it, Chris. This has been really fun. It went super fast. And that wraps up another installment of Creator Talks. Remember that show, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson? Well, that's how I feel right now. I'm sitting on my desk. My tie's been loosened. The end of a long show. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. My hope is that you're all well right now, taking care of one another, and maintaining safe social distancing. States are beginning to loosen restrictions so people can go back to business. And I ask that please, everyone remain calm, respect other people, wear a face covering, please. It's not for you, it's for the other person. We're not trying to infringe on anyone's rights. The mask you wear is to protect the other person from you if you have the COVID-19 virus and are asymptomatic. So really think about the other person and think about your loved ones who could be infected We're trying to slow the spread down until we can find a way to control this disease with a vaccine. Hopefully, we will be able to come up with one. Now, out here in Nevada, I've been working from home since the middle of March. Changes are being made in the workplace to ensure that there is safe social distancing and we are protecting one another from spreading the disease. So I won't be going back any sooner than after July 4th and probably after that. We are being very cautious in our state, but you know what? It's working. It really did help flatten the curve and help us get back to normal in a measured, responsible way as soon as possible and practical. And if you're bored, now's a great time to catch up on my catalog of podcasts, my interviews with combo creators, both living legends and those up and coming. Please subscribe so you don't miss a single one. I have more coming up. Two have been recorded and there are more scheduled for recording. So I have a lot to bring you. New creators that have not been on the show before and new publishers as well. Meanwhile, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod, where I will post my Saturday and Sunday Bronze Age and Copper Age and occasionally Silver Age from my collection. If you want to reach me by email, that is creatortalks at gmail.com, creatortalks at gmail.com. Thank you all, each and every single one of you, for listening. And please tell a friend to help spread the word about Creator Talks. And for Creator Talks, this has been Christopher Calloway. Until next time. Mm-hmm.